Welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of Team Turnbuckle, the AEW and NXT edition of Team Turnbuckle on May the 10th, uh, the night of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. I am your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, is my tag team partner extraordinaire, Ronald Tinsley. Ronald, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Keith. How are you doing today? Man, I cannot complain. It's a beautiful day in Georgia. I'm excited about this Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Uh, excited. Really good Wednesday night of wrestling, both on AEW and NXT. AEW particularly had just a fantastic show. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, just real quick. Please be sure to follow, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify. You can find it in many places. We appreciate all of your support. And just a reminder that me and Ron L. will be doing two podcasts a week moving forward. This is, I believe, the third week of doing this. Uh, We will do a SmackDown and Raw podcast. Team Turnbuckle podcast that typically will be posted in the middle of the week after Monday Night Raw has happened. It'll cover the Friday Night Smackdown from the Friday before the Monday Night Raw that has just occurred. And then typically sometime around the weekend, we will go over NXT and AEW. You can find the Team Turnbuckle podcast on Raw and Smackdown from last week on all the places I just mentioned, Apple, Spotify, etc. We go into an in-depth Money in the Bank preview on that podcast, including giving our predictions, as well as how we would have booked it, who we thought should have won the match. Uh, and then we will obviously be doing a recap on the Raw SmackDown podcast next week. But let's get right into this. And let's start with AEW because I really did think it was just a phenomenal show. They have really perfected, I think, sort of a fanless program uh, over the last couple of weeks. I know technically they had some people in attendance. They had uh, NXT wrestlers and also staff in the crowd, and it was live. But it's still a lot different without that audience. They did a wonderful job. The show opened with Cody Rhodes defeating bad boy Joey Janela. This was a really fast-paced match. It had a ton of near falls. Cody is obviously prepping for his inaugural TV championship match. It'll be him against Lance Archer for the first TV champion for AEW. It's been really interesting to see Cody's demeanor sort of change, especially on this episode. He seems a little bit more focused, I would say, maybe even a a little bit angry. And we know he has plenty of reasons to be. Obviously, Lance Archer brutally defeated his brother Dustin in the semifinal match from just last week. We will talk in just a little bit uh, that he was giving more reason to be upset with Lance Archer and Jake the Snake, who honestly he's been feuding with since Jake the Snake arrived with Lance Archer. Um, A couple other things. Cody has kind of quietly became the workhorse 
of AEW, and I don't know if anybody would have thought that when this company started. Obviously, when you have guys like Kenny Omega, uh, the Young Bucks, they have all these guys that are really known for their great wrestling, but Cody has consistently put on great matches. He's put over some younger talent. He's brought up younger talent. An example was Joey Janela looked fantastic in this match with him. Do you think that Cody has become the low-key MVP of AEW. Absolutely. And it's funny. Um, I'm sitting here with my notes, and you literally just took them right out of my mouth, how um, Joey Janela looks fantastic. Like, he's a – like, one of the things I wrote down is, like, he was really showed to be a tough son of a gun in this match because he kicked out of a lot of things. And I thought that the match was going to be over, like, five minutes before it ended, and he put up a fantastic performance. And then again, at the end, you know, like you said, with Cody's demeanor, just snatched him out of nowhere, slapped the freaking crossroads on him. And of course, that lights out. But then after all of that, after he calms down, stops and shows the sportsmanship again, putting another propping up another one of his fantastic young talents. You're right, man. Like he, everything that he does, it seems like his matches serve a purpose in wins or losses. And yeah, he is the guy that's literally carrying this company, and he's doing it without needing a title on his waist as of yet. You know, he's also not thought of in the guys or women, because there's some women that do great moonsaults, but Cody has slowly become... It's kind of hard to describe, because his isn't the most technical, it's not the most graceful, but it's a really good moonsault and he uses it quite a great deal now. And, you know, I always obviously think of the what 30 foot cage that he he did it off of uh, in Atlanta. And, you know, again, it just kind of shows how Cody is not really thought of as this technical wrestler, but he's slowly becoming one. Yeah, totally. And you see it in, in, in how he's updating his skill set. So, like, he's really been amazing, and I I can't say enough about what he's doing. It's like, you know, we had talked so much, like I said, about the whole him meeting with or without the title, which we're going to discuss with uh, when we get to Lance Archer. But, yeah, he's been doing great. So, on to the next match. Um, The AEW Women's Champion Nyla Rose returned this week. And she dominated uh, Kenzie Page. And I got to say, I was quite impressed with Nyla Rose. She um, put on a really clean match. Uh, Senton, which landed perfectly because I saw her going for that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Please don't. <laughs> landed it perfectly into the role. I was highly impressed. And then, you know, two power bombs and put her out. So, you know, she's been gone during a lot of this thing. And we've been wondering who would be the next person um, who should get a shot at the title. And personally, my favorites are Chris Statlander. And I know that she'll probably be third or fourth in line because she did get a title shot um, a couple of months back. But I'm also very impressed with uh, the number one contender, Hikaru Shidu. So I'd like to ask you, Keith, who are you looking to uh, challenge for the AEW women's title? 
Well, I think the person that makes the most sense, because we've discussed on this podcast several times that maybe the one kind of, you know, minus or negative grade that AEW would get right now has been its women's division because it's, it's not been great. And I don't think it's because of the performers. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they've really given them a lot of time. Um, you know, really that great of storylines. And because of that, I think that Britt Baker, excuse me, Dr. Britt Baker uh, <laughs> is the only answer right now because she has a, you know, a decent storyline. They've had some, you know, promos and vignettes with her. She has a decent following on social media, you know, in the internet wrestling community, et cetera. And I think she would truly get some buzz going in the women's main event scene, which is, you know, really badly needed right now. The other person, though, that would be a dark horse is Penelope Ford. I, you know, did some research on her because I don't really know that much about Penelope Ford. There's a lot of people in AEW that I'm not a huge indie wrestling guy. I mean, if, if, if you know, they get really big guys like Omega and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll hear stuff about them. But when I saw her, you know, as a valet, and I think it was in the match with the best friends, uh, she did a Hurricane run off the top rope, mm-hmm. catching a guy standing on the apron. And I was like, holy cow. So I actually researched her. She could really go in the ring. And I almost wonder if that would also be an interesting kind of dynamic or match when you would have, you know, obviously Nyla Rose is this, you know, just monster of a woman fighting Penelope Ford, who is really quick on her feet, can do some athletic, you know, air, uh, you know, aerial moves. And that might also be an interesting matchup between the two of them. Certainly. Uh, and that's good to know because I, I was unfamiliar with Penelope Rose. Um, to your point with Dr. Britt Baker, I actually am surprised that it's been so long that she's actually been in the title picture because she has been, when, when you look at the women's division, she's been the one who's been mostly on TV and definitely the one uh, making the spots, you know, doing her dental work on a couple of the, the <laughs> along the way. So, yeah, to be quite honest, that's really not that big of a surprise. So... What was sort of a surprise to me was we had discussed, I believe it was last week on this podcast, we talked about Wardlow and how MJF had been gone for quite some time. And I was getting concerned that he was actually legitimately injured to where we may not see him. And we both have discussed at length how we are so high on him. I don't know how you couldn't be. So when he showed up for that promo, and I believe this was on purpose, it was a thr- this this giant throne. It looked like it was a green screen of like a skyline apartment uh, because it, it was kind of like it was a you know like a C rate movie uh, <laughs> with with the background, but it fits his character so much, and to see him just being his smug self announcing his return they announced quickly after it that he will be facing jungle boy uh next week on the aw show and 
that promo just like reminded you so quickly why he is arguably the hottest young heel in the business. Um, and it, it really put to rest worries for a lot of people, including myself, that he was legitimately injured. I also love the way he played, you know, the hangnail, I believe, is what he used. That it was one of the worst, you know, <laughs> injuries ever. Because, you know, he has taken some time off. And so then to take something that's not serious and act like he's overcoming it and, you know, he's such a warrior to be returning from this injury, it's just fantastic. And this is just such good news for wrestling fans, you know, the AEW roster, because I think they need MJF to kind of even out the face heels. And then, you know, also for Wardlow, because we talked about that this guy has all the talent in the world, but he needs MJF. He needs that mouthpiece. He needs that smug heel to help him get over as the enforcer. And his return is going to lead to all of those things. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I really did love that promo that he cut. Um, with the way he was acting, it was almost like um, not quite to a like 100%, but like maybe a, a JBL Jr., where, you know, he's saying that, yeah, you know, I'm the man, I've got my my position, my wealth, and I'm better than you. And it definitely makes you want to reach through the screen and punch him in the face, which is what you what you would want to ask for for any good heel. You even saw is, – is, go ahead. Uh, just real quick, is he – you know, now that you said that, is he like the offspring – of JBL, Alberto Del Rio, did they have some love child that we don't know about? <laughs> yeah, no, that that does look like a perfect cross, especially with the with the way he has his hair. <laughs> One of the other things uh, before we move on about this was like you I, for Wardlow um, when they were discuss when they had the enter on the on floor interview, you could definitely see that Wardlow definitely looked a little more relaxed and more at home. Now that he was back in his uh, normal position, um, being the beef for for MJF. Yeah, it's going to be nothing but a positive for him. And I'm now officially Jack. I told you, I you know, you were bigger on Wardlow from the get go, and I was just leery because we really hadn't seen him and MJF together since really his debut. And now that we have these two guys together, they're both young. They're both hungry. They got great looks. Uh, we, we've seen they both can go in the ring. I'm really excited to see what, you know, these guys do because I think they're going to cause just chaos uh, on AEW for the next, you know, years to come. Absolutely. You know, when, now that we have, a, you know, a tag team like that, you've got a heel stable like the Dark Order. You know, there, there's a lot to be excited about with their balance of heel to face. So moving on to the next match, uh, John Moxley took on Frankie Kazarian. Now I'm watching this match and it was like a wrestling clinic between these two. And I was, you know, kind of surprised, you know, I don't really know Frankie all that well, but the toe to toes with the champ were great. And of course, you know, Moxley being the bigger guy came out stronger in most of those heads up, but you know, like Mox is known to do, they fought back and forth, but, you know, he landed that paradigm shift out of nowhere and got the, got the victory. Now, where it got a little interesting is after the match, the Dark Order comes out 
and all seven of them jumped John Moxley, leaving him basically laid out before Brody Lee comes out, you know. And I'm really digging how Brody is stepping into this role because he just kind of stepped out and he's very high on himself and came out there and he accepted that open challenge for the AEW Heavyweight Championship. Now, I'm very excited about how this is going to turn out, especially after Brody wound up taking the title home with him. Now, you had had a, a little bit of hesitation, and I'd love for you to get it into it further because we started going into this whole Brody Lee situation. What do you think of this move for Brody Lee right now? It, it's all going to depend on the execution and where they're going from here. My only concern, because I'm very excited for Brody Lee. I think that he was underused in WWE. He, you know, he's kind of going from a, you know, big fish in a big pond to a big fish in a small pond type deal in AEW. We discussed last week on the podcast that I felt it was very important for him to get into his first feud and it to be the right guy. I had given the name Matt Hardy because I thought that, you know, you kind of get everything you want out of a first feud for a guy like Brody Lee. It's a guy with name recognition, but there's not a ton of pressure because, you know, Matt Hardy is a big name, but he's not a huge deal in wrestling right now. I know that he got a lot of attention when he showed up in AEW, but everybody kind of saw that coming. My only concern is, is that, Unless he wins the belt over Moxley, and I kind of doubt they're going to put the belt on him this quickly. However, if they do, obviously that shows how much confidence they have on the, you know, in Brody Lee, and that they have really big plans for him. And my worry is if they don't, and Moxley ends up defeating him, we've seen this in WWE's uh, or WWE when guys from NXT come up. They end up feuding with a big name right off the bat and then end up losing. You know, wins and losses matter. So I hope they're not rushing him into a situation where, when you know, most, like, you know, not diehard wrestling fans are just getting to know who Brody Lee is. And then he loses to John Moxley and he kind of loses some of that allure or, you know, the dynamic that he had going for him because his momentum is kind of stalled right off the bat. Yeah, no, I, I can totally see where you're going with that. And the, here's a couple of concerns that I would have uh, either way. So, you know, I, I too am, am going to be watching this very closely and hope they play it right. Because if you say, um, do put the title in now, I would, not be upset if they were to put the title on Brody right now um, from what he's doing. And obviously they think quite highly of him, but would that diminish the uh, prestige of the AEW title considering that, you know, Moxley's only in about a two month run here. And that's only because he's had what two or three matches since winning the title. So that would be uh, my only concern. And then like you um, the other would be in the execution. I I don't necessarily think it would hurt the prestige of the title, especially when your first two champions were Chris Jericho and John Moxley. Because, you know, if, if it was maybe MJF, and this is, again, no disrespect to MJF, 
or, you know, some smaller name guys without the pedigree that those two have, you've kind of already given the title prestige just in the fact that the two biggest names you have in your company who arguably are still at the top of their game have been your previous champions. I think it would almost build up Brody Lee more than it would kind of hurt the prestige of the title. And then you would be officially all in, you know, with this storyline. And it would be kind of interesting to have Brody Lee and his his gang, you know, kind of ruling AEW and seeing which guy they choose to be the next person to finally, you know, get over the top on them and win the title back. Yeah, that, that could be fun. Now, you know, I'm really excited because – you know, right now with everything that they've been touching, they really haven't given me something to really boo-hoo about that much. Exactly. So this next match, oh man, Lance Archer, you know, brings Jake the Snake down and he dominated QT Marshall with Brandy Rhodes at ringside. After the match, I, I, I really have to take deep breaths here because I'm just thinking back to when I was watching this match. And we were wondering, we've been, we talked about, you know, they're really moving away from kind of doing the real hardcore things. And then Jake Roberts, uh, first with the assistance of Dr. Britt Baker, landing a tornado DDT on Brandy Rhodes, laying her out, throws her into the middle of the ring at the feet of Jake Roberts and... Lance Archer, and my God, Lance Archer is such a monster. And to my surprise, Jake breaks out the snake. And he got more animated with that snake than I have ever seen him in my life. And man, the only thing that I was surprised about with how scintillating this was, was where was Cody Rhodes? But knowing how this is playing out, like, you know, I had spoken about how this was going to be where our TNT championship was going to be. But, man, they are really ramping it up for this finale. And the only last thing that's going to tie this into a pretty neat bow for me is getting my first glimpse of what this TNT championship uh, belt will look like. Keith. What did you think about that Lance Archer and Jake the Snake segment? I thought it was really well done, mainly because let's just start with the Britt Baker thing. I don't actually think she's going to be the person to challenge for the title because obviously it seems like they were setting up future Brandy Rhodes versus Britt Baker and you know, a match down the line. And that makes sense because those are probably, you know, whether you want to say social media following, whatever, they're two most popular women on their roster. And I love it when a wrestling promotion does that, you know, kind of taking the role rumble uh, booking kind of storyline where they set up several different storylines all at one time. And by having Britt Baker come in, do that. I think they're setting up that on the women's division. I thought it was great that they made Lance Archer look like a monster, which has been consistent from the get-go. I think he's going to be a huge star in AEW. 
And it's got me thinking, like, I really don't know who's going to win that TV championship match because you can make a really serious case for either one of them. You can make a strong argument for either one of those guys getting the victory. And, you know, it'd be difficult to say if you said Lance Archer or you said Cody Rhodes that one or the other is, you know, well, where do you come up with that? And that's always good booking on their end. And then Jake the Snake just being the original Jake the Snake, the guy that I saw when I was young, you know, coming in after Brandy's laid out, playing the snake on her. I didn't know so much about the humping move he made over mm. her lifeless mm. body with the snake. I was kind of like, uh-oh, that might get the PC police going. But uh, I didn't see too much blowback from that. And then just to show how great of a heel Jake the Snake is, you got to remember, these are uh, AW wrestlers or employees in the crowd. And when he faked like he was going to throw the <laughs> snake in the crowd, you could hear two or three of them scream. And I'm pretty sure one of them was a guy. So it's just good to see Jake the Snake back, you know, being a heel, which is what Jake the Snake is great at. And he's going to be nothing but great for Lance Archer because – the one thing we haven't seen from Lance is can he talk? I don't really know that yet, but when you have a mouthpiece like Jake the Snake, you don't have to worry about it. So this was just, again, really well done by AEW. They set up so many different things in one you know, 10-minute segment, and you can't ask for much more than that. The last thing, though, I will say is, you know, I text you the same thing. I don't understand why they couldn't have, and maybe they did, but I didn't hear it, make an excuse for why Cody didn't come out to defend his wife. It's really weird. You know he was, you know, there. He fought in the first match of the night, and for him to not come out when it was something that dragged on for several minutes, it was just really out of character and didn't make a lot of sense because we know he loves his wife, Brandy, very much. Totally. And and with them saying that, like, you know, that, that was, you're right, a lame excuse because you're telling me that they couldn't have played it out that, like, one of the uh, other refs would have poked their, banged on the door and poked their head. Yo, Cody, man, something's happened with Brandy in the ring. You know, it, that that was kind of strange, but honestly, other other than that little part, I thought that was just an amazing segment and match. And it had been an amazing segment show, and then to top it off, when I tell you that AEW had a wild main event to close the show. It closed with a street fight between broken Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega versus I just like love everything the inner circle is doing. You know, we had La Champion when he was a champ. Now him and Sammy Guerrero are going as La Sex Gods, <laughs> which is just, again, fantastic. They're on top of their game. But it's it was a match that started right from the bell. Hardy and Jericho quickly went and started fighting through the stands while we had Omega and Sammy doing some really great wrestling in the ring. Jericho would return first to the ring, so you had the two-on-one beatdown on Omega. And to Hardy reappeared, interestingly enough, wearing his old-school apparel. I, I don't really know what that was all about, but that's okay. 
Uh, before you know it, with it being a street fight, there was tables, ladders. You had a uh, spot where Hardy drove Sammy through a table. And then that was when the inner circle got involved. They saved Sammy from being pinned. The fight then spilled in the concession area. And this is when things just got nuts. Hardy threw Jericho into an ice machine. Jericho responded by throwing (laughs) a bag of ice at Hardy. Uh, Omega took out Hager with a trash can. This is not everything that happened in this match. I just want to go through some. This thing was wild. If you have not watched it, do yourself a favor. Go watch the entire match on the TNT app. Omega would eventually power bomb Sammy into a garage door before Jericho took him out with the utility cart. That utility cart will come and play much more in this match. Uh, Hardy then emerged from the ice, hopped in the utility cart, and took, uh, he clipped Jericho, actually. And then in what will be a, you know, a, G- a gift, Jeff, however you say it, for the, for the rest of existence, Omega jumped in the passenger side <laughs> and is seen, like, pointing as he's standing up as Hardy is driving the cart full speed at Sammy. I'm going to start calling him Rick and Stark Guerva because, I mean, he got ran over. Just like with my boy Rick and Stark, like, give me a zigzag, <laughs> dude. He's running in a straight line. You're going to get hit if you're running in a straight line. It was a great bump by Sammy, though. I mean, he really took a big bump where he ran, you know, obviously into the car and to the side for the tumble. Then moments later, just, and again, this match was nuts. Kenny Omega hit a massive moonsault off of a lift onto the entire inner circle. It was Santana and Ortiz who had saved Jericho from taking the one-winged angel from Omega. And from there, it was just a numbers game was too much. Uh, Jericho would hit a power bomb on Omega to the roof of the utility cart and finish him off with the Judas effect. Again, if you have not watched this TNT app, if you download it, it has all previous episodes of AEW. You should watch this match. I mean, this was a, like, I'm sorry, for a TV show, non-pay-per-view, this is as five-star as five-star gets. It was entertaining. It was crazy. It was wild. Uh, I mean, this is what you should be doing when you're building to a pay-per-view and in a ratings war, you know, with a competitor who is NXT. What did you think about this? Man, I was applauding like I had just seen a, a fantastic opera or something like that. Like this match was just unbelievable. And what I had loved, uh, what to, to what you were talking about with Matt Hardy, I think it was the change because I believe he came to the match as Matt Hardy and came out of the ice machine as Damascus when he had the, the red cloak. So he, okay. it was the it was click right. that, so that even just added more to just unbelievable action. That bump that Sammy took, like I was seriously concerned. I was like, let me see his face. Is he split open? Is he, like that sounded <laughs> bad. Is he split open? Like that was bad. I, it was a phenomenal action. I could not believe it. Like for the fact that they returned to a quote unquote live audience and everything that every single performer had given up for this uh, complete show. 
I was so happy. And knowing that this is all building towards the pay-per-view, we're starting to get a couple of our matchups. Uh, where did I write that? We had a couple of the matchups coming up. I mean, we've got a lot going on here. And that was just the, the greatest match with, of course, the inner circle ending the show, giving the classic uh, one-finger salute uh, as a complete and whole unit. It was great. Did you hear, too, that apparently they did not do a good job? The one thing they struggled on was the picture had gone to black, but the mic usually is on for about an extra split second after the screen goes black, and you're you're pretty sure it was Sammy who dropped a huge (laughs) F-bomb, like right as the telecast was going off the air. So that was maybe the one mistake. Uh, on an otherwise great show. And it needs to be said that they, for a third straight week, it came out, uh, won the ratings, the head-to-head, and they are, like, and to their credit, NXT too, Raw's numbers are so down right now that AEW and NXT are getting to where they are getting two-thirds of what the average Raw is for the last couple of weeks. Uh, So it kind of shows you how great, because I would think that, Wednesday night is not as good of a night as Monday, uh, especially when you're a new, both of those are new shows and Raw's been on the air for, you know, 30 something years. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about AEW before we move on to NXT? Well, just to tag on to that, like, I just hope that for Wednesday night as a whole, that more wrestling fans really start tuning in because, in my opinion, Wednesday night is showing the best action for our weekly shows. I completely agree. And, um, you know, again, if Money in the Bank is a great pay-per-view tonight, which I actually think it will be, you know, WWE may be moving, unfortunately, to where SmackDown and Raw really aren't must-see TV anymore. And it's all about, you know, those 12, 13 pay-per-views a year, which I don't have a huge problem with. But then don't ask me to invest five hours every week watching, you know, your wrestling program would, would be my, my bigger issue. So NXT, like I said, they, they actually were a little behind AEW for the third straight week in the ratings, but they also had, I thought what was a really good show. It opened with uh, the new heel, Johnny Gargano taking on Dominic. How do you Dijakovic. say Jakovic. last name? Dijakovic. That's why I have, Uh, a very smart co-host. So Dominic dominated early in this match with just his typical combination of power and aggression. It was uh, only a clothesline to the back of the knee by Gargano that really slowed him down. I think that Johnny is, again, doing such great work. It's a heel. I love when heels... Uh, win by being smarter and cunning and ruthless. And this was a prime example of this where, you know, Flair was the king of this for decades where he would work on that leg, you know, because it was all about the figure four. And Johnny did a very great job of really working on his leg. He started, like I said, with that clothesline to the back of the knee. Uh, You know, Dominic started to make a comeback and then – 
you know, we've been talking about her a lot latest, lately. Candace showed up, distracted him. Uh, not long after that, even though Johnny had regained control of the match, Dominic, I think, maybe pulled off the, the move of the year, if not of the week, when, and I can't even hardly describe it with justice, he basically turned a flip off the top rope into a super kick. And, I mean, this is a giant of a man. It, it was insane to see. Uh, but Gargano would eventually use an exposed turnbuckle to lead to the victory. You know, again, Candice and Johnny are doing great work in their new role as heels. I love how they're letting them be more traditional heels one of the problems I've had with, you know, heels in general in the last decade is they make them all, you know, sissies who are, you know, just inept and they can only win by blatantly cheating or running and being scared. And this is the kind of cheating I love to see, you know, taking off the, the top rope, having your uh, wife, uh, you know, slash manager distracting it's it's really great work, and I know some people were concerned about it, but we're in, like, what, week three or four of this. I am so on board with the Johnny and Candace heel turn. I know you are, too, correct? Yeah, I got totally excited about Candace and Johnny. Um, to this, To your point about this match, Johnny Gargano, um, I, I thought, did an amazing job. You know, you don't see a lot. Of, there's not a lot of big guys, of course, in NXT. So seeing the way he got to handle Dominic Dijakovic, especially knowing how quick and agile for a big guy he is, and to work the way he did, like you said, taking on that limp, that was really fantastic work. And pulling off great heel work, like just exactly as you described, I thought it was pretty fantastic and a great match to start off. Like, you know, I was like, they came out of the gate ready to shoot for this week. And especially knowing what was coming on later in the card, it was exciting start. So into the next match, we they went into the cruiserweight tournament the cruiserweight championship tournament where they had akira tozawa battling jack gallagher now it started out as a technical match you know akira slapped on that octopus really really fast and then started taking it to the next level it was almost desperation like you saw a, a ddt during the match and then he hits a diving senton for the win he after the match would call out el hio el let me get this right el hijo del fantasma <laughs> after the match considering that he had gotten jumped uh, a couple of weeks ago guaranteed a victory uh, against el el hijo now do you think it appears that they're leading to tozawa winning this tournament or do you have someone else coming out of that cruiserweight championship to face jordan devlin upon his return i mean it appears like he is my bigger issue just with the cruiserweights right now is I don't like I'm not feeling that NXT WWE how you want to put it that they care about the cruiserweight division because of the time of the matches uh they're not letting them do a lot of promos you know if you notice most of their interviews and stuff are either after the match or 
uh, very brief before, and it's just hard to get behind something like this when you can argue the cruiserweights are the most exciting wrestlers, like the best actual wrestling you're going to see in the ring uh, of any division, but the powers that be don't seem to be, you know, concerned with it. Give them some more time. I mean, this was a short match. We'll talk in, in just a little bit about the other cruiserweight uh, match when the tournament was on there. Both of them were on the shorter end, and I'd just like to see NXT, WWE again, whoever you want to say is uh, in charge. If, if you're going to make the cruiserweight a big deal, let's start with you guys actually acting like it's a big deal, and then you're going to see the fans get invested in it as well. Yeah, totally. Um, to your point, it's like the only person who really got to do anything uh, uh, during this for the cruiserweights in terms of promos was talking about the Drake Maverick story. And when we had discussed that a couple of weeks back, you know, you had talked about, is are they setting this up? Uh, are, are they, you know, trying to pull another one on, on us? You know, is this just another work? And really, it, that kind of leans me to believe that it is, since he's the only one that is getting that kind of airtime. I hope so, because if not, you just made the point that the only person they're highlighting is cut from the company right now. That's an issue. Totally. And I honestly think that cutting Leo Rush was a mistake because he brought uh, phenomenal, phenomenal matches. I would have loved to see. Uh, no, him and Tozawa actually did fight, didn't they? But, you know, I could see those two going at it for match on match and be fine with that. Cause I never really was that invested in the cruiserweights um, that long ago to begin with. I completely agree with you about Leo rush. Uh, there was a very exciting debut on NXT on Wednesday night, Karen cross and Scarlett debuted uh, cross took on Leon Ruff. The match was, I mean, it's a squash, okay? It, that's what it was. It, it was five seconds. Blink, you missed it. But the the takeaway was the entrance by these two. You had Scarlett singing along to the theme. Depending on who you asked and what I read on social media, it was either the greatest thing you had ever seen or the worst thing you had ever seen. I fall on the side that I thought it was pretty damn cool. Uh, I think it's interesting. It's different. That's going to, you know, that's what WWE needs. It's what wrestling needs. Uh, you know, my issue with this debut is the match did very little to let us know more about Cross. You know, he, we, we've heard them discuss Doomsday. I have no idea what that means uh, anymore after his debut Wednesday than I did in the vignettes and promos that we saw. But, again, the interest got a lot of buzz. Are you really excited about this pair? Uh, I'm still kind of holding out. I thought that intro was quite scintillating. But, you know, I, I too, don't know what this doomsday is. And he did look quite impressive in, in the squash match. But it, it's a darn shame that the, that the intro is the only thing really of note to this. And in fairness, this was the, their their debut the first time, so we'll give them, you know, a few appearances on the show, and then we can say whether or not, you know, what the hell are they doing with this guy? 
I will say that he looked impressive in the ring. He had a cool, uh, different new entrance. So for a debut, all in all, not bad because it got people talking. Totally. And I'd be okay if in the future, maybe they move, if they kept that. Maybe if she's actually even singing it live, I'd be all right. So following that match, they had Charlotte Flair putting the NXT Women's Championship on the line versus Io Shirai. Now, Charlotte came out being her classic queen self. It was wonderful. Being early, dominating in the match, keeping it at at a slower pace. Io did wind up turning it around a little bit. You know, she turned up the speed you know, got her kicks and her and her aerial assault going. It would go back and forth up till at the end, Charlotte would get a disqualification by snatching a kendo stick out from underneath the ring. Now, she continues to beat on EO for a moment where another fantastic surprise is we had the return of Rhea Ripley, who comes in, gives Charlotte a quick slapping up, and it was beautiful. Now, Charlotte, you know, kind of tucked tail and went away. Now, are, do you think this is setting the return for Rhea to be the one to dethrone Charlotte Flair? Or is, do we have something else in the mix, possibly with Io Shirai? I don't really know. I, that was the one thing I was a little confused by the way they did this because Io looked fantastic in this match you know charlotte started out you know dominating it being her smug self which i think is the best charlotte you know is when she's the you know i'm the best in the world and i know it and then to see eo kind of she shook her up you know what i mean to the point where charlotte kind of like what she did with Rhonda, reached a point where i think she knew she couldn't beat her So she's like, well, let me just, you know, beat the hell out of her with a kendo stick. And I mean, seriously, that's what this finish reminded me of was the Survivor Series match against Ronda. So you're at, you know, one point you're building up Io. So then you have Rhea make the save. And and we've talked about how we're ready to see Rhea come back. We're, We're really ready to see how she reacts to, you know, it needs to be said. She's the one who called out Charlotte not the other way around. She got what she wanted and she lost her title to her. So how is she going to respond? Because I think we're both big fans of Rhea. I think that she is, you know, one of the women that is not part of the four horse woman, you know, not part of the Ronda Rousey group that has a chance to be that next, you know, superstar in the women's division. I want to say I think they're setting up a triple threat match. And the reason I believe that is sort of like what they did with Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda. I don't know if they want Charlotte just to take a clean pin and a one-on-one match to an NXT woman. And they may be setting up a triple threat match. So that way either, you know, either one of the other two women uh, could end up winning that match, winning the title, and it doesn't necessarily look Charlotte, make Charlotte look any weaker. That would make a, a ton of sense, and it would set up a, a really great um, rivalry going forward with uh, Io and Rhea Ripley moving forward. Because, you know, like I had said, or, or I had started saying somewhere, um, taking Bianca away from the NXT women's division, I felt 
was kind of a, a, a little hurtful. You know, we needed one more kind of big powerhouse to kind of solidify the top of that division. But with Io and Rhea being able to do that and keeping Charlotte uh, looking at the top of, of, of the world, which she is, I, I can definitely see something like that playing out. And it needs to be said, kind of what was interesting was Ia got really upset with Rhea for coming to her aid. She's like, you know, I don't need your help. I got this. And I thought that was interesting. And that's another reason I think that they are setting up a triple threat because they're kind of setting up dissension between all three members in, you know, every direction. Absolutely. So I'm not going to talk a lot about the other cruiserweight match. I just will say Kushida, excuse me, defeated Jake Atlas uh, by submission. Uh, Not a surprise. He also vowed after the match to win the championship, the interim championship. Uh, And honestly, until they give me more, that's all we're going to talk about it. So the next thing is Finn Balor. Uh, before the Cameron Grimes and Denzel, and I'm going to butcher this name, DeJournet, uh match, spoke directly to the camera. I thought it was really effective to his attacker from a couple of weeks ago saying, I didn't know who you were, but he vowed, I'm going to pay you back. Uh, the attack did nothing for you, and you will suffer greatly for it. I thought it was really effective. Grimes would then put away Denzel quickly and then mocked Balor, which was not a good good move by Grimes. Obviously, the Prince laid him out for mocking him. At this point, do you have any idea who attacked Finn Balor? I don't know. I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks we do get to find out. Uh, to that point, we also have to find out if this is the same person who attacked uh, Tommaso Ciampa the week uh-huh. after um, the into him and Gargano's feud while he was trying to tip his cap the proverbial tip your cap he had gotten attacked as well so maybe we get to find out who this masked man is and want see what role he's going to play in shaking up NXT next I had actually forgot about that if they are going to do that they need to make sure they get this right. And honestly, they need to make sure they get this right either way, because when Finn Balor went back down to NXT, a lot of people, myself included, were really excited. We thought that they had a clear game plan for him, you know, build him back up in NXT. It was where he had his greatest run. And then whether he stays down there or he moves back up, he gets his momentum back, which he just honestly – since the you know the night that he won the world title and broke his collarbone, he really hasn't had, and it just doesn't seem like they know what to do with Finn Balor, and it's a little disappointing because there's a lot of talented guys down there. Just pick one and let's have a real feud with them, and not these one-offs, which is what they've been doing. Yeah, indeed. You know, I was really expecting him to be more into the title picture and possibly be the one to finally knock off Adam Cole. Speaking of Adam Cole, to end the night, he defended the NXT championship against the Velveteen Dream. Now, Adam Cole came out and was at his heel early and often. The way he mocked the Dream, he controlled the match most of the way. Dream would get close to a victory when the Undisputed Era kind of 
tried to make their presence known, but they were surprised when they found Dexter Loomis slide from underneath the ring. Such a weird now, spot. <laughs> it really was, but you know, was that's great. a good that's a good call on you because you did make that call as to would he come out and play a role, and he played the protector role uh, during that match. So during that scuffle, you know, the ref took a bump and he got knocked out. Dream had Cole for an easy five, but there was no ref, of course. By the time the ref came, came, of course, he kicks out. Moments later, Cole would hit the super kick and the last shot to retain the title. Now, they advertised this really big, like to the point where you and I were already starting to crown this as the next <laughs> the, the rise of the dream era now do you think they were just wetting our appetite or just looking to set up a classic match later on down the road i think they were doing both uh you know i was really disappointed after the show went off the air and actually to be fair i watched AEW live taped nxt and then watched it you know the next day and I was really upset, but the more I thought about it, this is, I mean, this is wrestling one-on-one. It's exactly what they were doing is they want to kind of give you a tease of this match. You know, you had all the shenanigans, the dusty finish, all, all the different guys, you know, interfering from outside. They're just setting up a match down the road and that's what they were doing. And this is a money match. I think people would be really excited to see, uh, these two guys, you know, main event of pay-per-view. And I also think that with, and I know they have no idea of knowing how long this will be or when things will return to normal. But at this point, Adam Cole has had such a historic run as NXT champ. He kind of needs to lose the belt in front of a crowd. I mean, it would be a shame for somebody to finally beat Adam Cole and sort of end, you know, the reign of the undisputed era you know, basically ruling NXT and it be before no crowd. We've already had Drew McIntyre, unfortunately, and Braun Strowman have big moments in front of, you know, crowdless crowds. And I hope that if Velveteen Dream is the next guy in line, he gets to do this in front of a crowd because it would be quite a reception, quite a pop. Totally. And honestly, I I am tired of the fact that that if, if the only thing out of this thing that really upsets me is these guys deserve to have their moments and you know of course it's out of it out of our control but yeah that that live pop there's nothing better it also needs to be said that you know they're in a ratings war they knew what the main event was going to be on AEW I believe for two weeks in advance so I mean, it's good business to put, even if it is a tease and you know it's going to be a dusty finish and not a real, you know, true championship match between these two guys to advertise that just so hopefully that way you don't have a lot of people turning over just for the main event for AEW. And that's good business. I mean, that makes sense. Like, I know it frustrates us sometimes, but that's what a promotion would do back in the old days. As if one promotion has a big star, you know, another promotion is going to try to get a bigger star. So I'm not Mm. going to hate on them for doing basically kind of, you know, TV ratings 101. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really just, I'm, I'm okay with the way they're handling it. You know, 
don't do things just for the purpose of doing them do them in the right moments let let us get the appropriate feel and you know they're still figuring out life as it is you know with this covid situation anyway so we just always pray to just to get our our best show the the best experience possible out of all of it absolutely so before we get out of here uh we're gonna try a segment and we're gonna try to do this uh, at least once a week maybe each podcast for those that don't know and are listening we have a team turnbuckle podcast facebook group uh it is growing it is a great page uh a lot of wrestling interaction conversations discussions obviously we post the podcast links and stuff on there uh but each week we're gonna you know take some of the more hot topic post discussions and just kind of bring them up at the end of the podcast, maybe give a quick uh, few minutes on them. So the first one this week that really got a lot of attention was from Aaron Moody. And he posted a post that simply said, Becky, greater sign, Charlotte, that got a lot of people talking. Uh, I never thought I would be the one coming to defense of Charlotte Flair, but as I tell people, there's a big difference in liking somebody better and someone being greater than. And don't get me wrong, you could make an argument pretty easily on both sides that one is greater than the other. But I will say, if you're really, truly taking all the things that accompany greatness throughout the years in wrestling it's hard for me to hear from anybody there's a greater women's wrestler in the world than charlotte flair i absolutely loved it i did love the picture but i didn't jump into the fray but i definitely followed the comments it was absolutely hilarious and yeah i can see uh you know exactly that comparison because personally I do like Becky more than I like Charlotte but I also liked Magic Johnson more than Michael Jordan and Mm -hmm. my eyeballs don't lie Michael Jordan is the better player and Charlotte Flair is the better wrestler I'm sorry gentlemen (laughs) I I really do love Becky but you know as we had said both on this podcast and in the in the discussions on the board, you know, Becky's starting to get to the point where we need a new challenge for her before she gets too stale. Charlotte never does that. She just finds ways to repeatedly piss you off and uh, elicit an emotion. Even having face runs, a flare, having multiple serious face runs. I know Rick, you know, had his face runs, but Rick was never really known as being a face and Charlotte actually pulled off being a face for a while. And one thing real quick, in fairness to Becky or to Charlotte, however you want to take it, if Becky's champ for another six months or she's champ for say nine out of the next 12 months, there's going to be people hating on Becky. It's what happens. You know, what they call getting rammed down your throat is being the best and being in the spotlight. And it's like, you know, you can make an argument for some people, but I mean, even like John Cena, who I, I have my opinions about, I eventually realized I got suckered into that, where mm-hmm. I was booing John Cena and hating on him when it's like, 
dude, he makes stars out of guys. Yeah. You know, arguably the best wrestler right now there is. And it's like, it's just like what I tell people about Roman Reigns, the spotlight being the man, like it gets haters. Like that's what it does. Uh, The next, the next topic that was, was pretty hot and debated was who is the best hill ever. I'm going to give you just some of the names that came up over and over again. We had Flair, uh, Vince McMahon, JBL, Piper, uh, CM Punk, uh, da, 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 Piper a lot. Two names that I, uh, Paul Heyman was a really interesting one. The guy said, I know he's not a wrestler. It was actually Jimmy Gatelli. Uh, but I really thought he made a good point that, you know, he's arguably one of the best heels ever, and he's never even stepped in a ring, which is fantastic. Two names that I did not hear a lot and I gave on there was Larry Sabisco, who supposedly when he turned on Bruno Sammartini, like he got death threats for months and there was almost a riot uh, in the arena that night. So I think that definitely uh, deserves a mention. And then if you're just talking about favorite, because all of this is, you know, your opinion, the ravishing Rick Rude, it's hard to beat my man Rick Rude with his face on his pants, telling all these fat, disgusting pigs to shut their mouth and Cut hit his music. Why take yeah, why <laughs> why take my clothes off? You can't beat that. Uh, is there any that I'm missing or that you think des- deserve to be on that list? Um, I went with the the classic Ric Flair as well. But honestly, the two that really stuck out, and shout out to my homeboy Jimmy Catelli. That's actually a, a buddy and ex-co-worker of mine. Really cool dude. Oh, cool. So um, uh, I thought that him putting that in drew to me closer to what the real uh, answer would be. Um, another uh, schoolmate of mine, Jason Hiroki, said Bobby Heenan. That's a good you one, too. Look, and if you look through the career, Heenan never, ever was a face. On his commentary, he was a heel. Who his stable was, he was a heel. Like, Bobby Heenan, like, when he said that, I was like, holy crap, you know what? You're, you might really be onto something. And then Jason Gilmartin, Adding on to the manager heel, Jim Cornette, especially Mm -hmm. back to his days with the Midnight Express and the loaded tennis racket. Like, I still see Jim Cornette, even though I know that it's mostly uh, a wrestling persona and he lives in that wrestling persona. He's the kind of guy you really want to put your hands around his back. Oh, I, Jim Cornette, somebody I'd like to punch in the face. And, you know, not just from a wrestling term, sometimes with some of the stupid stuff he says, but he was incredible uh, in the manager role. So the last one here is, and this was actually, I believe, taken from Bleacher Report, but it was the greatest wrestling rivalry of all time. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I thought it was interesting that Stone Cold and The Rock had about 30% of the votes. Brett and HPK had about 30%. And then Punk and Cena maybe had 10, 15. And then there was a bunch of, you know, a few votes for this rivalry and that rivalry. Uh, just a few things I want to say. Uh, I think, honestly, it's right with one and two. I think it's hard to argue those two rivalries. I mean, Stone Cold and Rock really was the height of wrestling. And these guys main evented three WrestleManias. We talked about Triple H and Undertaker, you know, fighting each other at three WrestleManias. These guys main evented uh, three WrestleManias. Mm. And then Brett HBK is honestly 
the start of Monday Night Wars, Vince McMahon, uh, a lot of stuff because of the Brett and Sean rivalry. Uh, and on top of that, they had so many fantastic matches in the ring. Uh, and then finally, the Punk Cena, it sort of became underrated already and forgotten about. Mm. Uh, their feud before Money in the Bank, in my opinion, and then with the match that followed, is arguably the greatest month of buildup for a wrestling match in the history of the business. It was fantastic. If you have time and you haven't seen it, go back, look up the date. I think it was June 2011 for the Money in the Bank. Watch the four Raws and I believe one SmackDown uh, before the Money in the Bank match and then the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It doesn't get much better than CM Punk blowing a kiss at the end of it to Vince McMahon as he leaves the arena as the WWE champion without a contract. I'm going to have to go back and watch that because that was a couple of years before I started uh, dipping my toes back into watching. Oh, you got to, so buddy. I have to go check this out. Got to. Is there any other, though, that you think should be on that list? Uh, uh, none, that really stand can, out? none that really can compare. Um, just emotionally to me, um, just because of the time period that I watched it, uh, Hogan Savage. Absolutely. It was one of the five that I originally listed. Yeah, well. Flair Dusty, too, probably belongs on there, to be be honest. I can't believe I didn't even think about that, because that's the kind of stuff that births so many storylines that are still in use today. I mean, hell, war games for one. And I, and it was the first real like cocky hill versus the uh you know what do you call it like the everyday Joe you know right right well we do hope that you guys keep the conversation coming um, I do love the fact that a bunch of you guys are adding on and starting new discussions to the uh, I believe it's Jason who's talking about bringing uh, highlighting some of the other talents from like NJPW and Indies, mm-hmm. please do. People like myself and Keith will definitely be paying attention. And we thank you guys so much for uh, all the support that you're giving us thus far. Absolutely. Do you want to plug anything before we get out of here? Uh, certainly. Um, HarvestCreditors.com, or you could reach me on Facebook or Instagram at Ronell Tinsley. Uh, our goal is 20,000 families and homes in 2020. Uh, let's get your credit lit. Let's talk. Uh, and I just want to plug real quickly the IB uh, Podcast Network. Obviously, you got these two podcasts a week. RC on the RC Report had Jason Whitlock this last week. It's an incredible interview. It's almost I, like two hours. It's really I good. I started if listening to that. I cannot to get back to that. It sounds like a fantastic interview. It's very good. And then me and Alan, the Backdoor Cover Gambling Podcast, we will be starting finally getting back together uh, <laughs> tomorrow. We're going to discuss the NFL schedule, some of the games and matchups that have been released. Uh, and I promise you guys, as soon as uh, you know sports are back and we can gamble, we will be back to doing it weekly. But uh, until then, we will be back uh, sometime in the middle of the week to discuss SmackDown, Raw, and we will do a recap of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. A reminder that is tonight at 8 o'clock. We will be sure to do a a live thread in the Facebook group for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. But for myself, Ron L. Tinsley, this is the Team Turnbuckle podcast on IB Sports.